The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Empower yourself and get inspired to build the life of your dreams. Welcome to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Dr. Drayvon James and this is Everyday Peace. And I'm super excited to be here with you today as we explore the concept of living a life of peace every day. Peace defined as wholeness completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken, totality. Can you even imagine living in this space every day? Right now, today included. Well, I'm here to tell you that yes, everyday peace is possible. Yes, you deserve everyday peace. And yes, you can have everyday peace. We work together on this show to bring you the topics and the guests to partner with you as you create your life of peace every day. So if you missed last week's show, I want to tell you, you missed a great show. It was Lakita Carroll. She is a licensed social worker, and she was on the show talking about relationships with none other than our teenagers. So who couldn't use that kind of help and guidance? Well, she brings over 20 years of experience in therapeutic and mental health coaching, she gave some really, really helpful tips that are just like, wow, you could implement them right now. And I want to just share these with you because I really want to encourage you go back and listen to the show. Our teenagers are important. Our relationship with them is important. She talked about the three C's for conflict resolution with um, communicating. I think they work for everybody, but she suggested they really, really work for teenagers. And that is calm, clarity, and consistency. Those are the three C's. So if you or someone you know would benefit from having an improved relationship with your teens, go back and visit that show. In fact, you can listen to our entire library of shows by subscribing to Dr. Drayvon James' Everyday Peace podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Or you can listen on unityonlineradio.org. Another great place to find out about the Everyday Peace Movement, as I call it, is to visit our new and improved website, drdravonjames.com, where you're going to find so many fabulous things, excerpts from this show, interviews and talks that I do other places, excerpts from my book, Freedom is Your Birthright, and just a remarkable host. There's free stuff on there, guys. There's free courses. Right now, we've got a course up there about self-esteem and self-confidence. Who couldn't use an improvement of those? Because when you improve those two areas of your life, things start to look different from you, for you. So visit the website today, bookmark it, and visit often. That address, again, is drdravonjames.com. And we're going to go to our everyday peace moment before we bring on our fabulous guest today. Our everyday peace moment has to do with one of the principles of success. One fundamental principle of success is, you guys probably already know it before I say it because we talk about it all the time on this show, it's gratitude. Gratitude is a game changer. So, but what we don't talk about and what I don't hear a lot of people talk about 
And what's come up a lot this month and the last few months with my coaching clients is what is the barrier, the number one barrier to success, right? It's true. A lot of us lack leadership skills. That's something I teach and can work with you on. But the number one barrier to leadership, to, to success is not necessarily leadership. It's before that. It's how we think, how we think think about ourselves, our past, how we frame things. So I want to leave you with this thought today. We're going to expand on this for the whole month, but I want to start right here. I want you to know that you are already a winner. Start to see yourself that way. Whatever came against you last year to destroy you failed. You won 100%. Whatever came against you last month, lost, you won. You won 100%. And I know that because you're still here right? So you're still here. You're still able to think. You're still able to change. You're still able to progress. Change your mindset around how you see yourself and how you see the world and everything you see starts to change. That is our everyday peace moment. With that, we're going to go into our, our guest today. Guys, we're bringing back a fabulous guest today because we had some unfinished business and we're so lucky to be able to get him on the show. This is Sebastian Siegel director, writer, um, actor, you name it. We're super excited. Uh, he was here to discuss his film and we're gonna continue on this film because it's getting so much press. I've watched it several times. I call it my ugly joy cry movie. <laughs> so it makes me cry ugly, but I feel so good at the end of it. That film is Grace and Grit, the true love story of an iconic philosopher, Ken Wilber and his wife, Treya in the 1980s California where they fell madly in love. And I don't want to give too much of it away. away. I've um, seen it a couple times and I'm moved by it. So with no further ado, Sebastian, thank you for being uh, back on the show. Absolutely love it. Hey, it's great to talk to you again. Oh, it's wonderful. And can I just start off by just, maybe someone on this who's listening to me today hasn't seen the show and i know i've reached out to a lot of friends of mine and asked them to please tune in today i want to read something uh, uh that deepak chopra said about the film he says this film grace and grit mirrors these stages mirrors the earlier stages of physical attraction then infatuation and then communion not just connection but sacred communion. It goes on to extreme vulnerability and intimacy and then surrender and then passion. A very interesting kind of passion with all the masculine and feminine archetypes coming together and turns into ecstatic moments of physical ecstasy, mythical ecstasy, sacred ecstasy. Yet it does end with transcendence I'm now at a stage where I'm just tipping over the dark night of the soul. And this film has been very good for me because there's a fine edge between existential despair and then subtly, and then suddenly liberation. So thank you for making this film. It almost makes me want to cry all over again. So mm -hmm. I want to say thank you too for making the film because, and I got to start here because we all know that we are all enter into the dark night of the soul. And I happen to have been to an, an extended period of dark night of the souls when I saw this film for the first time. And I thought I, I couldn't move for hours. I just sat mm. there. And what mm. you did for me in that film was 
Wow. You open up the possibility, one, that it's okay. It's absolutely okay. It's more than okay. It's part of the journey, right? The pain, the love, it's part of the journey. But you open up this part in that film, and, and it sounds like you did it for Deepak too. For me, certainly, that there's there's a well of what there's a deep well of whatever I have inside of me, and it doesn't empty. I'm built for mm. this. I could take it. So, mm. wow. Thank you for being here today. Where should we start? I know the film. Uh, you were you were on the show back in August. Um, I can't open up a magazine or read anything without that's doing any type of critique of anything without seeing your name and hearing this film. So mm. you open, the, the film is going to debut in some other outlets soon. Is that? I think we, we were talking about going Showtime. Is that where it's going to be this month? Yes, it just premiered on Showtime, and it's on Apple TV. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, YouTube has the availability to rent the film as well. But it is on Showtime right now, Apple, Amazon. So let, let's start at the very beginning. The, of course, this is groundbreaking piece of work. And I actually have started a little group of friends, and, and I encourage, I know everybody probably is doing this. I'm not alone in this. Um, like maybe going out for drinks afterwards and just kind of doing like a book club around the, around the film because I'm mm-hmm. one of the people who didn't get the opportunity to read the book. I do have a number of friends who have read the book who said that mm-hmm. it is so close. It's one of those films that when you read the book and you see the film, you, you're equally as moved. It's not like you come away saying, oh, well, it was nothing like the book. They're saying that it's exactly that it it's parallels so much. It's like a, mm. like you were sitting with him as though he wrote the book and you were going through the experience with him at the same time. How how were you able to do that? How were you able to get this film? And I want so often we see we read a book and we have the images in our mind and you go mm. to the film and you see the film and you're like, well, you didn't really capture what I was feeling. How were you able to get that to parallel so deeply? Mm. Thank you. First up, I'd like to say I, I, what you, you know, I'd like to celebrate and uh, what you said about I, I had this well of life force inside of me and it doesn't deplete just that when it gets taxed or challenged, there's a way to transmute that challenge into more life force. Uh, and I appreciate that because I think that we all think of tears and pain and sadness as something that's awful that we want to move past. Whereas in fact, if we look at it without judgment, pain and sadness and loss and tears are really, it's just a dynamic force of energy and that there's a way to transmute, transform that energy so that it works for us. Yeah. That when we recognize, for instance, let's say the loss of a loved one or a pet or something devastating to us. So we can say there's an electrical force here of transformation. And how can we celebrate that transformation? Both one out of respect for what the the joy in that transformation has been. And then where does it move and what doors does it open? So let's say we lose a, a loved one or a pet or something like this, that ultimately our tears are tears of celebration for all that has been so wonderful. So in the same way that we celebrate or honor the loss, we also must, in our duty to God and our duty to spirit and our duty to whatever that electrical force, however we acknowledge that electrical force and current of life, we must also celebrate to say, uh, I respect this loss, but it has been a marker 
of what has been so wonderful and so gifted in my life. And I wouldn't want to return that gift um, under any circumstance just because of this loss. And I celebrate that in the same way. And then also to say, with this loss, what doors does this now open that I'm not ready to step through quite yet, but I will be? What doors does this open? Just like exiting the womb and entering this life, exiting this life and entering into something beyond opens up some sort of new new door that is unimaginable. So when I am in this moment, when I face this loss, whether it's heartache or sadness or illness or the loss of a friend or a lover or whatever the thing is, what doors will this inevitably open? And how can I be, how can I hold faith in the truest etymological sense of the word? Not trust, not hope, but faith that I will be available, that I must allow myself to be available through my faith in God, through my faith in spirituality, through my faith in just the simple miracle of this life. How can I let myself open up with courage to the doors that this is going to open? So I really appreciate you saying that, that, that well of energy inside of you. Sure, this film does spark that. I didn't want to make a, a film that was lowest common denominator, in other words, that was broad pop um, fair, but that was a, really a, a film that, uh, and a story like the book, and like this is a true story, that allows us to witness what is possible through love, and that allows us to both celebrate the joys and the ecstasy of love, as Deepak Chopra said in the quote that you read, and also the pain that is requisite to transformation, which Deepak also hit on that. So that was my mission in this film, in uh, in um, uh, adapting this book and true story to film. In terms of how did I keep it so true to the story? Yes, I, I see people all the time, right, when like, uh, you know, the girl with the dragon tattoo or, you know, Ian Fleming's James Bond or whatever the thing is, right? People will read the book and then they'll see the film and they'll compare and contrast the two, which is a great exercise and fun to do. But of course, in a 400-page book, you're not going to have the same articulation of that story in a, as you will in a 90-minute movie or two-hour movie up on the screen. So there are differences, and the question becomes what to leave in and what to leave out. And also there is something that is powerfully immersive in film media where you can use music and specific visuals that take or lead the audience on a very specific journey. Whereas in a book, you don't have those visuals that are uh, dictated by the painter or the director or the writer in some cases or the music, but on the other hand, you have all these visuals that are now, when you read a book, brought to you in your head, right, creatively to what you like. So, for instance, you're reading a book or a novel and a man or a woman walks in a room and he or she is beautiful and attractive or whatever the description is. Right away, you have an image that is unique to what anyone else sees, which is what makes a book so creatively seductive in a different way than a film. By contrast, the film has to make a decision about what each scene looks like, sounds like, feels like, tastes like. Sometimes that will agree with us, other times it won't, which is why you have people being very critical oftentimes of film adaptations to books. A, a film is not meant to supplant. Uh, a film is not meant to supplant a book. A film adaptation, uh, in other words, should support uh, and supplement uh, a book uh, and a true story, which this film does. I was able to hit it very close to actual 
um, events because I think I know the author of the book, Ken Wilber, so well. I've read all of his other books on consciousness, and I did um, you know, many years of research about him and about his wife's journals in order to articulate on screen the story that was truest to the original story. And um, I, his response to it was very powerful. He laughed a lot during the film. Um, he cried during the film, and he gave a great review also of the film and felt that it was very true to the um, essence um, that, in short, that the movie uh, echoed the, the true nature of what they were experiencing. Um, but moreover, also, this is a love story for anyone who has fallen in love, has been devastated by love, and seeks to be renewed and have love as a source of hope in their future. I would go so far to say, too, it, it does challenge you to feel and think and critique what you've called love in the past. Mm. Because it is that intense of, I mean, this is, to me, it was... You know, I don't know, very early on in the film, they're they're deeply soulmates. You know, there's a phrase that something about, you know, first touch or something of that nature. But they they are connected in such a way so quickly. And and you always, you know, you hear about that, you know, love at first sight. And then you realize that, well, you may have had 20 of those in your lifetime before you, before you see the film. And then you see the film and then you really say this, this grace and grit. This is the love. This is the experience. And maybe you get two or three of these in a lifetime, right? But this is the experience that our soul is crying for. This is this is that. This is that knowing that there is another person in human form that walks this earth that could be so much a part of your life experience in some of the darkest moments of your life. That it's not it's not perfection that we're looking for. It is, uh, at least this is what I came away with in the film, and you can expound on this. I'm interested to hear how 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 it was for you making it. But the feeling that I have, the times that I'm watching it, is that to be seen on this level by another person is the quest that we're, that's what our soul is crying out for, is for someone else to reach out and say, I see you. I see mm. you. Beyond the physical, mm. I see you. Yeah, very much, very much. And I think that that will and that desire to be seen, all right, starts immediately with duality. And when I say duality, I mean coming out of the womb and coming into this world Right, we're one with the mother, and we don't breathe oxygen. We don't see. Right, we are fed through the umbilical cord. We absorb oxygen and nutrients and information through the umbilical cord, through the sounds around us. Our sense of awareness is very is unified, is undifferentiated from the mother. And then we come out of the womb, and we exit this really bright and loud place all of a sudden, and the umbilical cord is cut, and we do the first human action that we can do which is we gasp for air right and then we seek for the breast and then everything is separate from us yeah we start to differentiate and then in that differentiation as painful as it is it's also glorious and so we are from the first moment here in the first instant in this life seeking to be seen to unify to reunify with all of existence and we try to do that through another person 
through our dog, through our lover, through our friend, through the stranger that we pass in the street. Yeah, we like to have eye contact with people, even if we don't know them, and have a mutual acknowledgement, which is, I think, one of the deep challenges that's going on in the world right now, that people feel separated. And that deep impulse, it denies that deep impulse. We must heed that deep impulse to look at each other when we pass and just just see the face of God in someone else's eyes. As Martin Buber terms it, the I-thou relationship, that we see sacredness, uh, we see glory in the eyes of any other being, that there is consciousness driving to all of us, and that consciousness is greater than any uh, one of us independently or singularly. So when we think about love, you know, that desire for love, uh, you know, to unify, to feel seen, and to allow someone else to feel seen, to get to know ourselves through someone else, right? A couple, I get to know you, I get to know me through you, and you get to know yourself through me, right, in all our beauties and in all our faults as well. That's the, the will and the drive towards love. And then when people are standoffish towards love, when we're afraid of love, it's because we're oftentimes afraid to get to know something in ourselves. And that's when we fall in love and there's pain. Of course there's pain. If we're doing it correctly, there's supposed to be. Just like if we're giving birth, there's supposed to be some pain. That's part of what bonds the mother and child together, just like the pain is part of what bonds two lovers together. It's that salt. And so we don't want to seek out that pain, but we must welcome it and transmute it then into a force that unites, right, and into a force that unites. And I think about, um, you know, also, uh, you know, from a sort of meta perspective that, um you think like what are we really doing here right like what's ultimately happening in this life that god spirit energy the electrical force of existence wants to celebrate and wants to dance right and there's no need to mark joy and sorrow with positive and negative like we just want to find that celebration of that dance right if i think about this you know this great classical some great classical music and you think there's like bum 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 Right, and it's all beautiful, but without that bum 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 ba, which is this heavy ominous chord, right? That we have to have that, yeah, the dance of relationship and that struggle to unite, to see and to feel seen. You know, it takes on as even again as Deepak Chopra said in that beautiful quote that you read at the top of the show, this dark night of the soul, this passage that if we're doing the passage in a way that is correct, in a way that is filling, in a way that is glorious, in a way that is true, then we will feel some of that melancholy amongst the joy. But that melancholy only spikes the joy to make the cake sweeter, right? Like. All honey in a cake makes a cake too sweet, but some salt offsets that honey to make the sweet even sweeter, right? I think also in the, in the sort of Khalil Gibran-esque way that when he writes, you know, the poem, the great poem, his great poem about love, he talks that love will ascend to your highest branches, right, and caress them and shake them in the sun, but it will also descend to the roots that are deep below the earth and shake them in their clinging to the earth. Right, that love is supposed to undo us. In other words, it's supposed to crucify us in some way so that we can be reborn again to something even better, you know, even more. When I say better, deeper is what I really mean. Um, and I think that's the experience that we that we have in love. Um, and then lastly, I think there's a, you know, there's a quote that I have by uh, uh, Plato that's in the film when Ken Wilber, uh, the 
uh, author of this book, uh, who in this true story, um, he writes and, and chronicles his wife's journals through this five-year experience of rapturous love between the two of them in 80s California. And there's a point where it looks really devastating, right? It's the beginning of Act 3, and he's alone, and they're in Germany, and he can't see her because she's not well. And he climbs up to this place in, in, in Germany, and he reaches in his pocket, and he pulls out this note, and she's written, scribbled a note, you know, some months earlier, this statement by Plato that says, men and women were once whole, and then were torn apart, were split into two. And the, and the pursuit and desire of that whole is called love, right? And I think that that sort of beautiful um, metaphor for the pursuit of love, and as you said, to see and to be seen. In that particular scene in the movie, um, Stuart Townsend, who brilliantly plays Ken Wilber, is looking up at the sky and he's looking at the earth and he's looking at the sky and he's looking at the earth and he's thinking about these energies of male and female energy, right, of these different archetypes of, of feminine and masculine energy and the unification of those two things, how they're forever apart and yet they're forever touching and seeking one another. And that, I think, is at the core of what love and loving is, that it's an action it's a dance. It has to be continually renewed daily. And as uh, you know, pertinent to exactly what you said, yes, the desire to see another for who they are and accept them for who they are in this moment and the desire to feel seen and accepted for who we are in this moment. Oh, you've said so, so much that has resonated with me. And I want to encourage our, our listeners today, if you have not seen this film, you owe it to yourself, to your journey in life. It, I think it uh, validates each and every one of us. It reminds us that, that that there is peace in our humanness. There is what we call struggle. If we were looking at it on the film, we could find beauty in it. We could find purpose in it. I think the film challenges us to do that. As you were talking, I was reminded of a, something that was said in a group um, when we met over coffee to discuss this. And I just wrote it down because I didn't want it to leave my mind. But... Um, one particular person in the group said he was reminded that love unites and it also sets free. We'll be right back with uh, Sebastian Siegel and Grace and Grit right after this commercial break. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Create and build the life of your dreams. Welcome back to Everyday Peace with Dr. Drayvon James. Welcome back. We're back with... Sebastian Siegel, the director of Grace and Grit, and we were, I was just telling Sebastian at, uh, during the break that I've watched this film so many times with so many different groups of people. You guys know I'm an actress, so I hang out with a group of actors and directors, and, and one particular night we were discussing this film, and one of my actor friends said to me, I've watched the film and she said, and I've come away with the fact that I've never been loved, that this is what I'm mm. looking for. 
And it's interesting because this is a love story. It is a love story, but it is so much truth and and just a life experience. It's about growing up. It's about introspection. It's about awareness. It is really, it could be philosophy. It could be, it's life. It is the whole gamut of life. And so I thought that was interesting. That was a really interesting night. Have you got that from people before who've watched the film that they've come away craving to be loved? That's beautiful. I have, yeah, some of, I've received a lot of messages online. Um, I think that, you know, our notion, love is such a fascinating word. We use it in so many different regards, right? Um, as Jim Whitmore said, even in my first documentary film some 10 or 12 years ago, he says, well, I love my shoes. I love my wife. But I mean two different things there, right, that are, that are very, very different. And love has depths and textures to it so you know even your friend or people that have reached out to me online we we are loved even if it's in ways that are that at some juncture in our life are satisfying it's just let's say romantic love but it's not courageous love yeah and that when we as we grow and as we deepen and as the textures of our soul expand we require something that becomes more fulfilling Yes, in other words, you know, even to draw a reference to popular culture and media in that regard, lowest common denominator means everyone's going to like it. If it's just plain rice and soy sauce or something like this, everyone's going to like it. It's simple. Not everyone, but most everyone, right? But then the more complexities we add to it, right, the more specific the flavor becomes, the fewer people are going to like it, but the more that the select people who do like it are going to really enjoy it in some way. And I think that love in that way has a requisite to it by saying to us, what are we ready to accept and allow in? Because love is not just a receiving, right? It's a dynamic energy force between two people that demands a giving, right? A sacrifice. And so we can only accept and feel the powers of love when we are ready to surrender to them in that way. And so oftentimes I think when people say, hey, I haven't been loved or I haven't been loved to this degree, it's partially because perhaps they haven't connected with someone who is ready to do that. And also because we are, have not been at that juncture ready to sacrifice and to give in that way. Yeah. In other words, it feels great to receive love, but we stay attached by giving yeah, in that way, just like a young child and a parent, yeah, the parent becomes attached the more they give and the more they sacrifice for the child, yeah, and vice versa. It can't just be receiving, yeah, and so even as we grow as children, we start to love our parents more. It becomes first just attachment, but we start to, our love starts to sophisticate or starts to become more complex when we start to serve and, and care for our parents in, a, in, a, in, in ways, and that's our first experience of the, the dynamic qualities of love. In that regard, in this film and in this book and in this true story and in this woman's journals, I wanted to really demonstrate um, as is written in the book, the different stages of love, right? And in this case, they go through first romantic love and then passionate love, which Deepak Chopra talks about in the quote that you read about the movie at the beginning of our combo today. So from romantic to passionate to courageous love to selfless love and then ultimately to transcendent love. And so those, all those shapes of love are articulated very clearly in this movie and in this story. And so I think that when people sit down and watch this film, and as I experienced when I read this book, I thought, wow, 
this is a reference point for what's possible in love. Not to be intimidated by it, but to say, if we sit down with our lover or with our other one or with our friend to say, hey, this is a place I can grow into. Like, this hurts, but it's gorgeous. And this is the jam. I mean, this is where it's really at, right? This is what I pray for, what I hope for. When I read a poem or listen to a love song and I cry or I'm ecstatic, right? This is what I think about when I think about love. It's the process of all these stages, romantic, passionate, courageous, selfless, and ultimately transcendent love. And so few people will reach courageous or certainly transcendent love. But there is a path to that. If we are willing to give ourselves, if we are willing to surrender, uh, then, then there is that. And that's ultimately what's really going on in this life. I think you just hit the nail on the head for so many people, right? Is that the romantic and the passionate, but the, but the courageous part of love, oftentimes people, we don't weather, this, I always use this term, weather the storm, and you know, pardon the simplicity of that, but we don't, we don't hang in there for, to, to get the beauty out of that experience. Because as you said, it is how much love are we prepared to give? Oh my gosh, it is the giving of love that is so powerful and create such enormous emotions within us, as well as the receiving of that. So how much, and once we get to that courageous part, we open up to another level and it's, it's bigger and it's better. So, you know, for our listeners to, who are waiting for, for their love on this level, hang in there, watch this film. It's available on Grace and Grit, Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Showtime, if you have not seen this film, if you've seen it once, I know you've seen it more than once because I'm not <laughs> the only one. Um, but uh -huh. if you have not seen it, I, en I encourage you, you owe it to yourself to really check out this film, to experience the depth of love, to take yourself on that journey, and then go back and challenge yourself, as I have on, so often after doing this film, just self-critiquing, self-aware, and not, not critiquing for criticism, just self-awareness, because there's so much within ourselves that we take for granted. If we, this film opens me, opened me up anyway to be able to look back and say, hey, Drayvon, I'm really proud of you. you. You have been some places with your love and your desire and your zest and your zeal for life. And just take that moment to acknowledge yourself. So again, we're talking to Sebastian Siegel. The film that we're talking about is Grace and Grit. You can see it today. Showtime, Amazon Prime, Apple TV. You won't be disappointed. It is a love story that surpasses all love stories. Somebody in my group uh, compared it to ghosts. Uh, do you get that a lot? Mm -hmm. I have heard that. Yeah, that's such a beautiful <laughs> film. Uh -huh. yeah. Love Beyond Life. Uh, Absolutely. Yes. Love Beyond Life. I, I, I hadn't got that at first. Um, it's been so many years since I saw that film, but I, I went back and watched that. I guess I'm in that in that season of my life. And I, I was not, I, I could see the parallel because um, that's what that's what we want. And that's what opens us up to really experience. We, we want a love affair and we want to be able to love on this level. But as you said, we also want to be able to give love on this level, to open up, to give love, to be in that place of vulnerability. My goodness. My goodness. So we're talking about the film. I, I want to switch gears just a little bit here. And um, you've got something pretty incredible coming up on November 7th. And in addition to all that you do in the arts, in, in the in the 
the gifts and the talents that you bring in the arts and the consciousness scene, you're doing incredible work. Tell us a little bit about that. Thank you. I, you know, my interest has always been in storytelling. Um, I think as a kid, even just the interest in, in poetry or writers, whether it was for me that people influenced me, whether it was Khalil Gibran or Joseph Campbell or Martin Luther King Jr. or Alan Watts, uh, you know, or, or musicians like Martin Gay or Berta Flack, you know, songs and art and poetry and sculptures and paintings and movies that were immersive in a way that if I would listen to them or look at them or read them or observe them or think about them or meditate on them, that there was something inside of me that it was tapping that I couldn't yet understand consciously, but that spoke to me on a deep level, right? And I think that's ultimately what art does. It gives us a window into who we may become, who we ultimately intuit, uh, an aspect of ourselves that, that seeks and yearns to come to the surface, but that has not yet arrived. And I think great art when we uh, allow it to, opens us up in that way. So my interest has always been really in consciousness. So these things, these different things that I do seemingly from the outside appear to be different, but they're all the same vocation for me. It's vocation in, in the forms of storytelling in film and in psychology and meditation and immersive experiences. And so one of the things that I like to do, uh, one of my favorite things to do, my main social structure and outgoing, I love talking to people when I'm in line at the market, et cetera, uh, and, I, and, I, and I connect with people wherever I'm at, and I'm at, but I'm reclusive for the most part. I don't go out to a lot of things. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not social in, in bars and clubs, et cetera, this kind of thing, that I'm selective so about how I spend my time because I want to have deep connective experiences. So in short, one of the things I love to do is about once a month, I hold, a facilitate a guided lucid dreaming experience. And in, in short, that experience I'll do at a yoga studio or at a uh, temple or at uh, someone's home um, or at a theater. And this Sunday, November 7th in downtown Los Angeles, uh, and it's on Eventbrite if anybody would like to come who's in L.A., I'm holding a guided lucid dreaming experience from 7 to 9 p.m. on Sunday night, November 7th. And that essentially is people will lay down on the ground in this giant dome, and I will tell a story live on wireless headsets that will take people through diving under the deep oceans and flying through the forest and meeting other animals and falling through the stars to ultimately meet their own subconscious mind. Um, so I use binaural sound waves, which coax the brain from beta, alpha, theta, delta, and back up and back down. I tell a wild, lucid, very creative, adventurous story about the oceans and the forest and the stars and the animals and the self. And I use, with Wisdom, in this case, this Sunday, we're going to project all these images across the ceiling of the dome. And it's like a planetarium. It's a circular dome where people will be laying and uh, the, these images will be projected on the ceiling. It's one of the most amazing, immersive domes in the world. And it'll be my first partnership with them. <clears throat> so that's an amazing event. And then I have uh, other smaller ones for smaller groups of uh, under 50 people, under 40 people, uh, once every month. So if anyone is that interested, anyone that people can reach me, uh, Instagram is a great way to reach out to me. I don't use a lot of social media, but Sebastian Siegel, one, uh, people can send me a message or look at my website, Sebastian Siegel, on the events page. I usually have a, an RSVP for each one of those events. 
Oh, I, I love the storytelling and uh, the lucid dream dream uh, to meet your higher self. I think it's so incredible. We do have a caller on the lines. So I'm going to open up the lines for our caller. Hello and welcome to the Everyday Peace Show with Dr. Drayvon James. We have a fabulous guest today, Sebastian Siegel. Did you have a question or comment? Hi. I was um, holding. I wanted to ask a question in regards to, um, well, you all have moved on, but when I typed in my thing, I wanted to ask a question. It was in regards to um, the movie. So I'm going to be very brief about it. I wanted to ask the uh, writer and director that does he two questions. One, does he think that if um, the two characters in this true story had not gone through that hardship with her being sick, that they would have reached that level of courageous love and transcendent love? And then two, do you do you think that you can reach transcendent love without having to go through something? That's a great question. Love that question. It's a complex question because I think there's a paradox woven into it. Um, I greatly appreciate that um, exploration. Oh, you're welcome. That. Yeah, very much. Thank you. Um, I I think that there's this sort of omega point pull to evolve, which we all have within us, which is a deep intuition. So even when we meet someone, we think, hmm, what is it? Something's drawing me to this person. Right, whether it's love at first sight or it's explored in this film and the story, love at first touch. But there's something that's not rational. In other words, not in our conscious mind. It doesn't necessarily make sense on paper, right? But we say, I'm drawn to this person because there's a something, a space for me to grow into something that's deeper and richer and more complex. Yeah, and the other person is feeling and sensing that too. And then when, when two people heed that intuition, they dive in regardless of whatever the challenges may be because the mm. joy and the, the fruition and the growth is so dynamic that we can't turn it down. We can't look away. And then sometimes we find ourselves okay. fighting that. We, we try to look away, but we, try, we, we, we can't. So in that way, I think that for these two in, individuals, for Ken and for Treya, in this story, perhaps it's hard to say, but perhaps in some ways it's already written that when they're drawn gotcha. to each other, perhaps they can intuit this dynamic challenge that they'll go through and they have to, they have to dive into it, but they know it's for their own crucifixion. And so therefore resurrection, if you will. And then I think in that same regard, yeah, the, the statement or the question about, can we, you know, can we locate, can we move from romantic to passionate to courageous and selfless and then ultimately transcendent love without something devastating in short, Yes. However, the that yes comes with a footnote, right? Or comes with an asterisk. Mm -hmm. And that asterisk, I think, is that there is inevitably pain within growth, that that's the nature of pain. Mm -hmm. But the pain on one level becomes joy on another level, just like that's the pain of any rite of passage, like going through puberty, let's say, or going to the first day of school, right? or something like right. this, or exercise, or discipline. is painful at first. But then after a certain amount of time, we love school, and we love growing into an adult, mm. and we love discipline, and we love the, the, the things that challenge us. In other words, what challenges us initially in one way becomes spectacular in another, right? We've all experienced that, where we have to sacrifice ourselves in one way, uh, a, a weekly ritual, if you will, or meditation or a church or a service or a practice or a giving in the way that we show up to give in some particular way that it hurts us in one way. But then after a while, we love 
we love that. We love how it binds us to something greater within ourselves. So I think in short, yes, but in another way, the ego has to die again and again and again to be reborn again and again and again. And what I mean by that ultimately is it's the expansion of self-identity that we have this identity of just self as me in this little body in this lifetime. But then we expand outward and we say, well, it's me and people that I am close with around me. And then we expand that outward to say, well, it's me and everyone I come in contact with. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's not just Thank me and the people I come in contact with. It's, it's, that's right. So the expansion of identity ultimately, you know, allows pain to to subside and joy to 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 culminate at the highest and deepest level. Wow! Thank you. Oh, you really explained that very well. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And thank you for being an everyday peacemaker and crawling into our show. We really appreciate it. Another great show, Doctor James. Thank you. So I, I, you said something um, there, and I love the caller uh, asking that question. Could they have reached courage had it not been for, uh, you know, what, what what happened in their life and how mm. they were um, challenged in that way? And I love that response that the ego has to die over and over again. There's a part in the Bible that says, "I die daily," right? Mm. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. the part of the, the ego that has to do that over and over again. And when we resist that process of, of dying off of the ego, and that sounds really harsh, and sometimes I don't, it sounds too harsh to do, but letting the ego rest so that mm. we can be present for the full experience. And sometimes that full experience can be so, fright, so frightening and so uncomfortable, but encouraging still the ego to rest. So that we can be yeah. present, I think allows you, and I, I got that, that kind of washed over me as you were talking there, so that we can be present for that full experience. And that opens, that I think that is the gateway, if you will, that opens the door to that tunnel of the next stage, just resting mm. in it. Mm, very much. Yeah, yeah very yeah. much. And, and, you know, this is a true story, by the way, if we haven't said that and you haven't gotten that, this is a true story. Um, and it's full of, 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 of a lot of challenges. And if it were fiction, you would say it was interesting that the author chose a sickness in this type of sickness so that there was no wiggle room to ignore it. Right. That there had to be. Um, that it was there. It was something that was going to have to be, that was present. You know, it didn't have to be present, but it was present in their life. And so I think that it provided them the opportunity to say, I can resist, but this is still here. So we have those challenges in our life. And that's what I mean about the film opening me up and opening people up that I've talked about the film to really look at our lives and say, where am I putting resistance? Where am I allowing the ego to resist when I could use this opportunity to open up and be in flow and be present? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. On so many levels too, that we, find ourselves saying, oh, I don't want to do that because it's going to demand too much of me and I might fail. I might not be able to take it on. 
but it's that calling that when those things do show up, it means we already do have that capacity within us. Yeah, We can only fulfill a job or a love or a course or a challenge uh, once we've done it, right? How can you be president of a country or a company if you've never done it before? No one is qualified unless they've done it, unless they've already done it. So we are, whenever we step into anything, whether it's love or parenting or, you know, working at a restaurant or being a lover or planting a garden or doing anything, we are not qualified until we have done it because every experience is different and demands something, something different from us. Yeah, and then success starts to leave clues and lend itself to others, yeah. Um, you know, so if we find ourselves at the base of Mount Everest or some giant mountain or some giant challenge, if you will, to use it as a metaphor, and we look up and the weather is passing and there's this gap in the weather that says, okay, I can summit Everest today. We must go for it. We don't know that it's going to be okay. We don't know that we're going to be able to make it, but here we are at the base of Everest and the weather is clearing. We ought to. Our intuition is telling us, go, go, go. We must. It's calling us. And we have to heed that call. You just put fire in my bones, Sebastian. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> because what I just heard, a couple things, you know, and you guys, we're, I'm all over this. And you, this, this movie opens you up. I don't care what your faith is. I don't care if you don't subscribe to a faith. It doesn't matter. You will find more of you in this film. And so you just said this and it made me think about, you know, the we're waiting to be qualified for something. Well, I'm not qualified for this. And it is not the mm. qualified that the journey is looking for. The journey will qualify you. The journey qualifies you. Right? You you said it so beautifully. You've never been president of that country before, so you don't know. No one has been that before. Mm-hmm. You become president and you get qualified. And so know that about this 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 movie, and I said this at the beginning, there's so much here. There's so many levels of understanding, and there's so many levels to ourself. When you, I call it my ugly joy cry because uh-huh. I sat there at the, I sat there at the end and couldn't stop crying, but was happy at the same time. It's this real weird kind of combination that's going on for you. You know, and um, I'm happy, but I'm I'm crying, and in and in all of that, you're finding that you're falling deeper in love with self, which has to be there so that you can give love away to someone else, right? That's you got to see the movie, I think, to really get that. That's a theme that we've been discussing in some of my groups, that understanding and, and loving self, and that coming through and being able to love more deeply, being able to give it more, give it away more freely and become more vulnerable. Um, But this whole idea and what you just did in that explanation there is that this fire in the bone, this seizing the moment of life, even Mm. if the moment is requiring you to stand still, there's so much activity in that, Mm. right? Wherever Mm -hmm. you are embracing that. So we've got a few more minutes left. In your own words, because I've said a lot of mine because I'm so passionate about the work that you've done in in Grace and Grit. In your own words, if you had to sum up uh, this film, how would you do it? It's a story about love beyond life. And it's a story about the passage of romantic and passionate and courageous and selfless and ultimately transcendent love. It's a story about the power of how love can transform us. 
Oh, I love it. This is a story of how love can transform us. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And that's what love does. It transforms. It changes. And and that, you guys know, you listeners know, is this a purpose of everyday peace, right? It's for us to transform into that which we want to see present in the world. We we get to go first. We, we get to be that example for the world. And we get to do that through great art. It helps us to do that. It helps us to connect to our, when it's great art, when it's great literature. I remember very young in my life falling in love with Shakespeare and being exposed to great literature and being able to love yourself deeper and find a commonality amongst every living thing on the planet and yourself. That's what your film, Grace and Grit, did for me, is to remind me of this commonality. I'm super excited that you are our guest today, Sebastian. I want to remind our listeners that Grace and Grit can be seen today uh, on Showtime, Amazon Prime, Apple TV. This is Everyday Peace. I'm Dr. Drayvon James. I absolutely love you. We'll talk next week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.